0: Welcome to another episode of the ArenaCraft podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, I am one of your hosts, the other host, the the constant, the illustrious, the only co-host worthy of the ArenaCraft podcast, it is Cova, go blue. How are you doing today, my friend? I am here. I'm conscious. My head is throbbing.
1: My shirt is soaked in sweat. I have not bathed in two days. I might almost be growing facial hair, and that's because they put Sphinx's revelation in historic. Okay, <laughs> and I can't right. stop, man. I just need another rev. <laughs> I just need one more rev for three, man. Just another... As
0: soon as I rev, I need another it's a it's a it's a hell of a drug man, you know w- once you have that sweet sweet revelation, you just can't go back, man, you know not not really Hydroid Crasis that's nice and all, but you got this ugly
1: creature jellyfishy thing to look at when it's over, not rev
0: rev is just more cards, man you can't play Krasis at instant speed on your opponent's end step no, you cannot and and that that my friends is the real- and also. Who needs to play that that horrible, ugly color green, right? Green green hasn't been good for years. What happened to you? (laughs) (laughs) Where where have you been, Arjuna? Oh, my goodness. This this is the guy who deep-dived green more than anyone on Earth. Okay, go on. How how the turns have tabled. All right, so we have an incredible amount to talk to you about today. This is going to be one of those episodes where, like, After we stop recording, we're going to talk for another hour about all the things we have to talk about. So, uh, first and foremost, Cat Remastered has hit Historic, and it has, I mean, it has blindsided Historic, man. This format feels very different. There's a lot of very relevant cards that have been added to the format. There's also just like a lot of fun. Cards. I didn't realize, and we'll we'll get into this more later, but I was looking down the list of of cards here. There are so many build arounds in this set. Oh, yeah. Like, so many cards that just say, hey, warp your entire deck around me, please. This is going to be great. So, we're going to get into that. But first, before we get into all of that, have some exciting news for the podcast. Due to a combination of Covert Go Blues ingenuity, and hopefully just this platform being, you know, worthy of being featured, Wizards of the Coast has finally decided to reach out and feature the Arena Craft podcast as a featured content creator, hashtag sponsored. So that's going to be happening next week. And I'm going to have a special, my special featured streaming day is Thursday, August 20th. And I'm going to be streaming at noon PM Pacific time, noon PM, I guess there's only one noon and I'm basically going to be streaming until I drop, like until I, you know, (laughs) literally cannot click the mouse anymore. So your window
1: doesn't close, like you don't have a streaming window, it's that day. It's It's just the whole day. From then on. Yep,
0: exactly. So, so uh, basically, it's going to be an extravaganza, I'm going to be brainstorming some cool things to do during the stream, I've reached out to several other content creators who I enjoy to do some featured stuff, and so anyway, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to do my darndest to make it an exciting and fun thing to show up for. So please come and check it out, and support the stream, and celebrate the Noticing by Wizards of the podcast.
1: woohoo! Woo! Congrats,
0: dude. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm stoked. I'm stoked. You know, it's one of those things where, like, I don't ever want to feel entitled to anything in my life, but I was like, man, when's my feature coming along, you know? I was like, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. And it finally happened. So. Now we just need the preview, right? We need the ArenaCraft podcast preview card. D- oh, baby. Yep, yep. That's the next hurdle. That's the next hurdle. But hey, with all of the sets being released, like it's bound to come along at some point, right? So okay, um, so with that out of the way, CGB, we've been playing Ammon Cat. We haven't been playing the same Almond Cat, but we've been playing some Almond Cat. <laughs> so <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so I'll, I'll briefly go into what I've been doing because we're not really going to talk about it much on the show today. But I've been playing a lot of Cat Remastered Limited because I do enjoy draft a lot. It's a thing that I consistently like to do, especially when a set is freshly released because it's a way to grow the collection without having to spend wild cards. And if you enjoy drafting as well, then it's just, why not? So I played this block back when it was in paper, released in paper. And I had a really, really hard time with the draft format. Like, it was definitely not one of those formats that just clicked for me. And I really struggled. And I was, like, super optimistic this time around. And I was like, you know what? I'm a better Magic player now. I'm going to do better. I have Arena. I'm going to learn this format. It's going to be great. And sure enough, I've been having a really, really hard time with it. Mm. Ouch. Okay, so the good news with this limited format is that Like, with some limited formats, I feel like, man, I just don't get it. You know, I just kind of didn't get the format and didn't feel like I'd solved it or just didn't feel like I knew what was going on. And with this limited format, it's just more that it's really exposing the holes in my game. The games are so tight and so close, and, like, the smallest mistake can lose you the game in this format. And so it's been really encouraging me to just become a better Magic player, which is painful. It's painful to play in a format and you feel like you just basically suck and you get dumpstered a lot. It's like with some formats, I'm just like, I don't like this format, I'm not going to play it. But with this one, I'm like, no, I need to get better at Magic to perform in this format. And that's an important thing. So I just I, I wanted to talk about that just for a moment, because I think a lot of times in Magic, it's easy... So if you lose a lot it's easy to just say oh i don't get it or i got unlucky variance is not on my side yada yada my opponents always had it i never had it etc and while i do think that i i have also just been having a streak of moles to six and getting mana screwed and stuff like that when i'm honest with myself i just really need to get better at magic and this format is really showing that to me and I think that it's an opportunity when you're when you're playing magic and you really feel like you're starting to lose a lot, it's an opportunity to look at your game and look at what you need to improve on. So I just wanted to give that a moment in the podcast because I'm having what I feel like is a is a level up moment. Sometimes you just look back on your game and you think, oh, I leveled up and I didn't realize it at the time. And other times you're like, no. I am literally growing my capability to play right now. And so that's where I am. And I just want to acknowledge that for our listeners because I'm not perfect at this game. I have a lot to improve on in this game. And it's good when you're in an environment that actually shows you what you need to improve.
1: Yeah. Can can I go into coach mode yeah. for a second? Ask you some me. questions. Yeah. Would you say that you are having a level up moment or have identified that a
0: moment is needed? I mean... I would say both. I mean definitely it is needed. The level up is needed. So that's that's guaranteed. Confirmed. Yep, we we need it. Okay, so what's what is the thing
1: where 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 does this go? Like what what's losing these games or what is uh holding you back?
0: So the thing that I'm working on in Armand cat because the set is very like this. Um, it's it's identifying a weakness in my game that I need to get better at, and that is this set is very racy. It's v- like life total really matters in this set. I think it's one of the most skill intensive parts of Magic. Is deciding when to attack and when to leave your creatures back. When you're on the offense, when you're on the defense, when you can afford to take damage, and when you cannot. And in Constructed, a lot of times, it doesn't come up very much because in Constructed, it's really the matchups tend to dictate just by the nature of what they are, your behavior. So if you're aggro playing versus control, it's just very easy to figure out who's the aggressor, who's the control. And even in, in matchups where it's not so clear, or maybe you end up playing a role that your deck wasn't quite designed to play, it's just usually quite clear if you're paying attention what you need to be doing in that game, or at least what you need to be trying to do. In Limited, it can be much, much, much harder, and it's one of the reasons I like playing Limited, because every deck is basically a mid-range deck. And you have more aggressive slanted decks, and you have more controlling slanted decks, and Cat, Limited actually has... It really does support like full aggro and full control, which is one of the cool things about the format. You need to engage a lot more of your brain in Limited for simple things like how many creatures do I have? How many creatures do they have? Who's going to win the race? Who's going to win the board presence fight? And so that's something that I really need to work on. I remember about Amonkhet, and I'm no Limited
1: master, but I remember the thing about Amonkhet Limited that was very taxing for the pros at the time who played it was that exert is a very count, like it's not something that you have to deal with that much in magic. And it really throws off combat math in every direction when when to exert and when not to. So I, I would, do you think that that is something that worth focusing in on, or do you think it's more of the, just exactly what you said in general, as it applies to all magic?
0: For me, it's just been the macro. Okay. For example, I did really, really well in Dominaria Draft. The format clicked for me. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the different archetypes. And I felt like it was fairly easy for me to go the distance and get my seven wins. Or I was just consistently getting five wins or six wins. And if I wasn't winning, it was usually quite clear to me why. But in this format, boy, it's so tight. Every game feels so tight. When when you have those games, when every game feels neck and neck, it really exposes the faults in your thinking, the weaknesses in your not paying attention, stuff like that.
1: You don't have to take my two cents, but this sounds like you're hitting that point where the best way to learn would be to record your games and watch them. Yeah. the Like that, that level of separation from not being in the chair to watching someone in the chair usually lets you see clearly what could have been different.
0: Yeah. I think it's a really, really good idea. And I actually, I think I should just play more on stream because streaming, you know, kind of by default, it forces you to talk through your plays and you (laughs) have that immediate accountability if someone's already watching you, right? So yeah, I think that 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 is excellent advice and I think I will do that. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, coaching moment there on the ArenaCraft podcast. So Yeah, hopefully that was valuable to you guys. All right, now let's talk about what you've been doing, Kovac Go Blue. Since
1: they dropped the historic update, I busted into blue-white control and uh, Demir mid-range with the Scare of God, and it is really hard to stop doing those two things. Like, for even long enough to make a standard video, because all the videos on my YouTube channel are standard, but it is really hard to stop playing these decks, Uh, and... I, I find that the historic meta is wonderful, and I don't think it's meant or necessarily truly wonderful, because there are two, two factors at work. One, the pros don't typically play historic competitively, which leads to kind of a lack of authoritative net decking. There aren't a lot of tournament-proven lists that people will just go snipe. And that's going to change because the next Mythic Invitational in a couple of weeks is Historic. So that's going to change. But the second reason I really like, and this is, I think, just a best-of-one arena ladder thing, you don't want to invest in a bunch of wild cards for Historic. People are primarily playing the decks that they really, really like in Standard with a few upgrades or the deck that they really liked in Standard that rotated. Which means that you're playing decks on ladder... It's not like nine out, Like I, I feel like if people were competitive on ladder, I'd be playing against Field of the Dead all day. You know what I mean? Because that's probably the best thing to be doing. I've, like any kind of logic says, you need Field of the Dead because it dominates all mid range and control, and then you need a combo deck like maybe it's Kethys that goes over the top of that, and you need the cheap aggro decks like Burn, right? Th- that's probably your format. But that's not what I play against. Like I haven't played against Field of the Dead once. Not once. Wow. In like three days. Wow, really? And my, like, yeah, my Demir midrange deck and my blue-white control deck should not be winning in Mythic. But I'm not playing against Field of the Dead. I'm playing against Elves, and I'm playing against Cat Tribal, which the deck, that sounds like a joke. It's not. Like, that That deck is not bad. That deck is, is hanging. <laughs> you know, it's pretty good. So- um, but there's like so many cool decks that, Every matchup is like, what am I up against this time? I have no idea. It's a freaking circus, and it turns out if you Sphinx's Rev for five to eight cards against any one of those decks, you usually win. Or if you untap with the Scarab God against any one of those decks, you
0: usually win. So for me, I'm getting to play a lot of fun magic. Dude, that's fantastic. And I mean, I'm sure that part of that is just that everyone else is doing their version of, of Sphinx's Rev, right? so yes and i'm torturing them for it yeah yeah exactly so (laughs) it's freaking great (laughs) preying on them right but i think this is you know i mean it's just one of the best times to be playing any format is when there are no rules you get to just play the things that you like and again almond cat just has so many fun build arounds that i you know we're just you're gonna see this you're gonna see people playing their as decks their cat decks so so is regal caracal in the format? It is it is the buy
1: a million gems promo. Okay, let me let me get this perfectly right for the cast. I actually I I am a professional content creator and I prepared for today by having arena open in a window so I can look at the <laughs> actual information. If you buy 45 packs of Amanket remastered for 9,000 gems, you get one regal
0: caracal. Nice. Or okay. you can
1: craft it or you can craft it with mythic wild cards, I believe. I think it's mythic. I, I had it open and I
0: closed it. I think it. it's a rare. <laughs> I, I don't remember. Anyway, it is a rare. Yeah, so I think one of the things that has made this set kind of challenging is that it, there's just, it's been really hard to get a very clear sense of what is and isn't available in the format. Like I've looked at so many different lists that people have published online for like cards excluded from Amonkhet, and they never totally agree. So this thing, mm-hmm. like I, I, thought that Regal Caracal just wasn't in the format at all. But it turns out that I think it's just not in the packs, but you can still craft yeah. it, and it's still the the promo, right? So oh, anyway, oh yeah. yeah, there's there's been. I, I'm still kind of just fully learning every single card that is in this format as a result of that. I have a hack because this is a thing that's going around people saying what's in
1: historic yep. what is the what is this what is that what is this format it's a digital format I, I, you want to know my hack for knowing what's in it what's the hack I actually search in arena itself <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good
0: good way to do it
1: you just instead of using scryfall or gatherer or whatever i just go into arena the client make sure it's collected and not collected and i either search or scroll it's yeah they have this collection feature they have a nice visual (laughs) layout you know you can build a deck in arena i don't know if you've tried
0: this but cgb i'm a paper boomer (laughs) Um, what am i supposed to do They can't open Arena. <laughs> I know
1: doesn't run I, on their computer. I literally
0: can't find my decks tab in Arena, so there you go.
1: Oh, okay.
0: All right, so let's let's just dive in and go through a list of some of the things that one might be excited to try out from this Ammon Cat Remaster in his start because there's a lot of sweet cards. Like this is one of the sweeter card dumps that's come to the set in a long time, and. Mm-hmm. So let's just, we'll do a combination of lightning round, gas or ass kind of stuff. And then we'll also take a little bit deeper dive when we come to like a cluster or like an archetype that deserves some discussion. Yep. So so let's just start off with a fun one, CGB. Anointed Procession, gas or ass? Oh,
1: total gas. Yeah. Like, Like this is one of the most fun cards ever printed and i going to stress fun i'm usually a pretty spiky mage but it, you have no soul if you don't try out anointed procession <laughs> it's it's like mirror march without the feels bats yes exactly uh, but but you can play it with mirror march
0: for the feels something <laughs> the you're gonna feel walls. something <laughs> like
1: someone's gonna tilt all right that, that's 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 what it is you know play um, that
0: combo record 20 games Clip the wand the way you actually go off and then feel good about mm. yourself, you know? So- Some sweet stuff with the procession. Um, one of the cards that they inserted into the
1: format is Hornet Queen. Yeah, there you go. Mm. Oh, And God baby. Pharaoh's Gift, God Pharaoh's Gift reminder makes tokens that are copies oh, of the there creature. You go. So, so if you have dope. an anointed, yep, anointed procession plus God Pharaoh's Gift with a Hornet Queen in the graveyard is how many insects? That's just that's just
0: 16 redonkulous yeah let me just read this card for people who aren't familiar anointed procession three and a white enchantment if an effect would create one or more tokens under your control it creates twice that many of those tokens instead so yeah token doubler and there's just so much fun stuff you can do i'm i'm thinking like Bant hornet queen with thassa oh baby okay
1: (laughs) okay here's another one for you kranko oh kranko that's gnarly either one either the Krenko mob boss or the one that attacks and makes goblins by putting counters on it uh procession wasn't in standard with either one of the Krenkos. so that is legit that's that's that is super legit
0: yeah i mean you can even have fun with stuff like um what is that that card angelic visitation or something Divine visitation. Divine visitation that turns your tokens into four four angels, right? You can just get your double double jank enchantment combo going and just totally go off. So pack rat creates double pack rats. Oh, that's that's for each activation. <laughs> it's a nice one. I mean, even just like raise the alarm makes you four one ones. That's pretty good for two mana, right? So yeah, annex makes double tokens love oh it God. love it oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> i mean any planeswalker that makes tokens makes double so yeah that's a fun thing to be doing um yeah so just keep an eye out for anointed procession beloved to jank mages everywhere all right i have on my list control you've been playing a lot of control so let's talk about this i put a number of cards here maybe i even missed some but here are the cards that i'm thinking about which Armin Potentially added for control, you know, especially like blue-based control in the Mm -hmm. format. So we have Cast Out, which is a very versatile removal spell. It can cycle. We have Sensor. That's the cycling counter spell. It's very cheap. Commit to Memory, if you just want the game to go forever. We have Hieroglyphic Illumination, which I think is one of the best card draw spells that's been printed in a very long time. Pull from Tomorrow, which might... Just be a worse Sphinx's Revelation, Supreme Will, another nice kind of counter spell, and and then we even have uh, well, I don't know. We can get a little bit more deeply into this, but what which of these Amonkhet cards have you been finding really good in your control shells so far, CGB? So I'm
1: not playing Cast Out at all. I think it's overpriced as mm. an answer, but I've been seeing it in other people's builds of blue white, and I've been seeing it in cycling where I think it's an all star giving yeah. cycling a diverse answer that it never really had. So, just to let you guys know, the cycling deck in historic is not a joke either. Oh, yeah. I definitely want to want to cover that for sure. Sensor is an interesting card. You either love sensor or you hate sensor as a control player, and what I acknowledge about sensor is that sensor, the threat of sensor is better than sensor. If you can convince your opponent that you have sensor, so that they play around it and you do something else that's way better than sensor itself yeah so i will often put one like my blue white deck that has a video coming out has one sensor in it and i just if i can i just cycle it on turn one because so <laughs> just, just show them because yeah. they think you have another they yeah. immediately think you have another and they play around it the whole game and now that secret is out there, and I'm sure some people are going to be really happy to kick my butt on ladder knowing I don't have more. So now I'm going to have to run four Sensor for a week just to meta them. Anyway, Commit to Memory I've been playing because Commit is okay. It's like a bad cast out most of the time, although it can hit things like niv stuff that can't be countered. You can hit with a Commit on the stack. But the Memory side is pretty brutal. Because if the opponent leaves your Narset in play, and yes. you get to memory.
0: Memory, it, the game is over. It's brutal. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah. So commit the the front side of it puts is it just target spell or permanent uh, into the library too from the top. Correct. Okay, and then memory just sh- both players shuffle their library back in uh, graveyard back into the library and draw seven. So yeah, if you can if you have the Narset out, that's basically an insta win right there. Even if you don't have the Narset out though, the whole point of these decks is that you're maneuvering the game state to a position where if you both do this, you're just going to be way ahead of your opponent. So that's kind of the plan. Yeah. If
1: you're a blue-white deck and the game goes long and you have a lot of resources, the opponent is fighting the top of your deck and the top of your deck is usually better than theirs because you can draw Sphinx's Revelation and your whole deck is a combo. If you have a memory in the graveyard and the opponent plays the thought erasure, thought seize game of taking away all your good cards, when you just shuffle up and deal again, you undo all that. And you're just back to my cards are
0: better than yours. It's really good. Yeah, Just a very, very solid control plan there. Hieroglyphic Illumination. I feel like I would definitely be running this in some number in my control decks. What do you think? I'm not... But I can see why
1: people would. I don't think it's a bad card by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's a good glue card, like one or two of them. I just can't find the room, mm, you know? Okay. Uh, and I, I'm particularly sensitive about not dying to aggro, so I run probably more Wraths than the average mage. But Got it. I, I can totally see this as a defensible one
0: or two of. Yeah. It's just so versatile. Poor pull from tomorrow, though. Can't. I'm not I'm not going to be running that. No, just not as good as sphinx's rev nope ain't it for me pull from tomorrow is an option in non-white control decks so that's just a thing. like it's kind of the poor person's sphinx's rev so if let's say you're running like a grixis control deck or something like that pull from tomorrow is probably your best mass card draw effect and it is one mana cheaper than sphinx's rev so that's that's kind of a benefit as well how about supreme will my mid-range
1: decks max of two um You don't want to rely on it as a hard counter in a control deck. If you're going late into the game, drawing Supreme Will can often be pretty rough because it won't counter what you need to counter. And while it will dig for an answer, you're definitely not guaranteed a hit. You'd rather have a Narset, or you'd rather have an Absorb, one or the other. Supreme Will walks this weird line in the middle that isn't nearly as powerful. So it's like a
0: two-of in a mid-range deck. Like my Dimir mid-range deck plays two Supreme Will. Yeah, but definitely a strong card to consider in any slower blue deck, for sure. Okay, now, this card, I'm actually not really sure the best home for this card in Historic, so I just put it in the control deck shell, because maybe. But Gideon of the Trials, this Planeswalker, most people agree that it is a strong Planeswalker with a lot of potential, but I think it can be a little bit hard to find a home for it. So let's go ahead and read this one off. Gideon of the Trials, one white, white three starting loyalty planeswalker plus one until your next turn prevent all damage target permanent would deal zero until end of turn gideon with trials becomes a four four human soldier creature with indestructible it's still planeswalker prevent all damage that will be dealt to him this turn and also for zero you get an emblem with as long as you control gideon planeswalker you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game so do you think that this card belongs in control or is this kind of more of a like combo combo enabler kind of a card
1: it belongs in a certain type of control now it, because it is also a combo did you intentionally put it right next to the combo piece
0: oh yeah i mean <laughs> you know that was kind of in my mind for sure so yeah the card we're talking about next to it is pact of negation Okay. Yeah, so so yeah, Gideon is an excellent combo card to play with any card that says you lose the game on it, because the Gideon emblem basically negates that part of it. Yeah, what 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 are you thinking about Gideon and his place in historic? I I
1: thought this, I I did think that the Gideon of Trials Pact of Negation thing was pretty close to Magical Christmas Land. If you have a Gideon emblem and you get pacted, like it's just zero mana counter spells, right? And then I played against this person on the ladder. I think I played it three times overall during an all-night binge on my blue-white deck. And they were playing Esper, and they would just play, it was just a bunch of Planeswalkers. So it's like, tap out Esper. But their counterspell is Pact of Negation, and they ran three or four Gideons, because they had it on turn three a lot. So the whole thing is, like, you slam Gideon, you make an emblem, and now you have zero mana counterspell, all right? So the opponent does anything, you counter it, then it's your turn. You play Teferi, Master of Time, or Narset, and you start digging through your deck for another Pact of Negation. And then you play Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, and you're just like tapping out for these Planeswalkers every turn, but you have zero mana counterspell to back it up that you're digging deeper for every turn. It was a massacre against my blue-white control deck. (laughs) A massacre. Like, I I would try to counter their Teferi, Pact of Negation. Like, what am I supposed
0: to do now? They've got, like, three planeswalkers on the battlefield. That's so rough. I'm sure your blue white control deck isn't running a lot of answers to a resolved planeswalker, either. I've got some
1: hours of revelation. You know, uh, a yeah. perilous vault is a good one. But all of these are sorcery spells that have to actually resolve, and your opponent's <laughs> counter spell costs zero. Yeah. And they have Thoughtseize. That was the other thing. They were oh, Esper for Thoughtseize. Amazing. Oh, it was brutal. This deck sounds wonderful. <laughs> so I brew, you know, I brewed up like a blue white one with 3 Gideon of the Trials and 3 Pact of Negation, and that combo is not a joke,
0: but it is terrible against aggro.
1: Yeah, like I believe actual, that. Actual actually terrible if they can kill your Gideon with their creatures.
0: Yeah, and Gideon's not a particularly resilient planeswalker. He comes down with 3 loyalty and that emblem is a zero ability, so yeah, if your opponent can come up with a way to kill it, Especially with that lose the game trigger on the stack, then uh, that's that's pretty good.
1: Oh, man. I had this (laughs) wonderful game. This wonderful game against Mono Red, all right? Where I played my Gideon and I zeroed it, and then they try, and I only had four lands. So I'm passing the turn without enough mana to pact, and they bolt my Gideon, and I pact of negation the bolt. They think for a second, then they say, good game, and they bolt my Gideon again second pact of negation oh snap they, <laughs> instant
0: they rage scooped they were so they were oh, not happy that's so great <laughs> i love after the after the bm as well you gotta love that oh yeah oh yeah when you beat bm it's it's legend yeah <laughs> love it love it so yeah so control definitely a fun thing to try in historic at the moment got a bunch of new tools let's move along here any interest in crested sunmare in your life gain deck or is it just too slow? Wow, my in my life gain Yeah, deck. Yeah, in your favorite historic life gain deck, CGB. <laughs> I don't play life gain, I hate life gain
1: decks. Um, this is a, like, one of the best times though, one of the most fun I ever had playing life gain was with Crested Sunmare, I'm not going to lie. Like, that, that deck, there was like a blue-white life gain token Anointed Procession deck with Crested Sunmare Ooh, that I really okay. enjoyed.
0: Okay, Anointed really Procession Sunmare, that's a good one. I'll read this card real quick. Three white white for a five five creature horse. Other horses you control have indestructible. At the beginning of each end step, if you gain life this turn, create a five five white horse creature token. So that's each end step, by the way. So you can do it on your turn and your opponent's turn. So if you manage to gain any amount of life on, you know, turn five, right, and then you just play Crested Sunmare, you immediately get a free horse. And. I don't know, it could just put your opponent in a pretty tough spot. Like if you have a Life Linker on blocks, they might not be able to attack into it. So yeah, it's a 5-5, you know, for five, which doesn't necessarily do anything when it comes out. But I don't know, if I was was like hard on Life Gain, I might consider running one of these. Soul Warden stands out, right? Because Mm, Soul Warden triggers it, and then on their turn they can't play a creature or you get another horse. That's pretty good. And I mean, if you get even one horse out of this... That's five mana for two five fives. That's dope. Yeah. That's yeah, this card isn't a joke. Busted card. So I don't know what the right shell is for crested Sunmare, but um I'm I'm gonna keep an eye out. Could I interest you in a red,
1: green,
0: and white <laughs> deck. <laughs> um Okay, so what? what's filling horse out step. the... No, it's just the, I,
1: I just did it for the horse joke.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Yo, Arjuna, what does, what does Crested Sunmare say to the god of death?
0: Uh, nay? Not to... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You're welcome. CGV is just... He's just sitting back in his chair. He's just proud proud owner of, of a new joke you, you <laughs> can right. move
1: along it's, we were supposed to move along after that it's the comic so, effect. all been... right
0: so let's talk about another interesting card which has entered historic solemnity two and a white enchantment players can't get counters counters can't be put on artifacts creatures enchantments or lands so i don't know i mean this is quite the hoser hosing uh
1: hosing the counter, decks that put counters on things. The Ozolith got worse. I think the combo people are looking at is nine lives, right? Yes. Because if you have those two enchantments, you basically can't take damage. And there's definitely a certain amount of decks that are unable to kill you if you achieve this. Is yeah. that is this for real?
0: I don't know, man. I mean here's the thing solemnity is one of those cards you look at it and you think i don't know i don't know about that card and then yeah this card can just this card wrecks planeswalkers um it wrecks a lot of these creature countery decks and that combo i mean again it sounds a bit janky but that's real man yeah grim tutor and idyllic tutor are in the format if you Mm -hmm. want to put it together Mm -hmm. um and I mean, all you, I mean, you can be at one life when you get that combo resolved and you're good to go. So, yeah,
1: game could just be over.
0: Yeah, again, it's one of those things where you can laugh at it, but I don't know, certain decks are just not going to be able to ever come back from that, right? Like your your red aggro deck is just done, locked out of oh, the game. At I, that
1: point. I, I've got, like, I now have a new white whale in video creation where I just want to find the red player who keeps attacking and burning my face every turn. And just pausing
0: and reading the cards over and over. I think that, oh, I, I know I can do this. You resolve your nine lives on turn three, and you see them mousing over it and kind of laughing, you know, like, haha, my red deck doesn't care about your nine lives. And then next turn, Solemnity, boom, got him. Yeah. All right. Speaking of another kind of combo build around y card, As Foretold. Any interest in As Foretold? As Foretold. Yep. No. But but Doing it I never you.
1: figured this card out. I never figured this out. Do you have a combo with this? This card is two and a blue enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, put a time counter on it. Once each turn, you may pay zero rather than pay the mana cost for a spell you cast. With converted mana cost, X or less, where X is the number of time counters on As Fortold.
0: So the difficulty with As Foretold, it's a sweet card, but the difficulty with it is that your deck needs to contain cards that cost between one and seven mana cost, otherwise it's just not really worth playing as foretold. So yeah, it's hard to figure out like which kind of control y combo e shell is gonna be able to really exploit this. I'm sure that some mages are gonna come off with some like approach of the seventh sun. A second son i guess <laughs> combo with this but i agree this is like this is 100 a combo card and i i don't know off the top of my head quite what you would do with it my first
1: instinct is you want to play it as soon as possible because like putting the time counters on it very important so yeah. i think like you like want it on turn two so you need a goose and a lanoir elf so something blue and green and then from there i'm not really sure Uh, quite Mm -hmm. honest, like where it goes. But it's important to note that it says once each turn. Mm, So you want instant speed or flash cards so that you can also play them on your opponent's turn for zero and play them on your turn for zero.
0: Yeah. I also, if I was going to run this card, I would definitely be interested in something like Fey of Wishes because first of all, just getting a free Fey off when when your counters reach four is pretty good. And then being able to stock yourself up with whatever mana cost of spell Ooh. is kind of coming up next on the agenda i think would be really cool so that would definitely so, be on my mind to your point i think you hit on something important as
1: for told didn't exist in a format with adventure and yeah. adventure does give you two different spells usually of different cost in mm-hmm. one card which might
0: really help with this card
1: mm-hmm. i i think that's worth checking out
0: yeah And I would definitely be, you know, with As Foretold, you definitely want to be able to find, like, at least one huge finisher that costs, you know, seven plus mana to just snap it off for free. So, yeah, anyway, probably not good, but definitely another one of these build-arounds worth thinking about. All right, so let's talk about another build-around, which is very, very real. Um, There's a, a couple of different things you can be doing with these Amonkhet cycling decks. And, you mm-hmm. know, we just had, like, an incredible cycling enabler set in the form of Ikoria. So let's talk about some of these build-arounds here. CGB, do you want to read Drakehaven for us? I can read Drakehaven for you. It's a
1: three-mana, two-in-a-blue enchantment. And whenever you cycle a card, you may pay one. If you do, it creates a 2-2 two, two Drake token, and I'm pretty sure I just did that from memory, because I still haven't found the card. Yeah, so <laughs> there
0: cycle talking. or discard a card. Or discard, that's yep. what I missed. Yep. Okay. Yep, now I've got it. This is one of these cards where it doesn't do anything the turn you play it, but for the entire rest of the game you're threatening to just just flood the board with 2 And with the right backup, I think this card can just take over a game very, very quickly. So... Let's talk about some of the things that you might combo this with. There's another card, also in Cat, called New Perspectives. So this is five and a blue enchantment. When New Perspectives enters the battlefield, draw three cards. As long as you have seven or more cards in hand, you may pay zero rather than pay cycling costs. So I think the idea with a deck that ran both Drakehaven and New Perspectives, for example, would be most of the deck's cyclers And the idea is that you get your Drakehaven down, you stay alive until you can get to New Perspectives. And then basically for each one mana that you spend, you get a a Drake. And and you can basically just, every turn from then on, you can spend all of your mana just cycling through your deck, making a million Drakes, and you win pretty quickly after that. I actually don't think that Drakehaven and New Perspectives were played together in the same deck. I think that the real combo with New Perspectives that I remember was shadow of the grave shadow of the grave one in a black instant
1: return to your hand all cards in your graveyard that you cycled or discarded
0: this turn so once you have new perspectives down you can just create basically like infinite cycling combos and there's a card is a vizier of tumbling sands is that what it's called yeah it. vizier of tumbling sands i'll read this one off two in a blue one three human cleric it has the activated ability untap another target permanent but if you cycle it for one and a blue it says when you cycle vizier of tumbling sands untap target permanent so you can do a thing where once you have new perspectives down this is a free untap and then so if you can get enough of these untaps and then cast your shadow of the grave and then get them back and then you get more untaps and so the idea is that you have this you know one turn kill essentially almost infinite combo where you can just keep cycling and untapping and getting stuff back from your graveyard until you have enough mana to do whatever your big combo finishes
1: did you play much of that deck the new perspectives deck in
0: standard i didn't i i did get to watch it go off uh at a pro tour a couple of times there was a i don't remember which player was playing it but did some cool work with it
1: i played it a lot it's uh Pretty slow for a combo deck. Getting up to six mana was really hard. I honestly don't share your enthusiasm for the Drakehaven. No, I don't think it's it's going to be. Yep. I think it's going to be too slow. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Shadow of the Grave is needed anymore. Mm. I think that Zenith Flare invalidates most of what was done with cycling in the past, with the only exception possibly being that you want a new perspectives to gas your hand back up. Because if you have new perspectives and a Dranith Stinger, you just win Prop in in all likelihood. Yeah, that's, um, that's a good combo. I, yeah. So I think new perspectives might still have a shot, but honestly, it's... Like I think that Zenith Flare just
0: undoes most of what cycling did before it. Yeah, yeah. I I think that that's definitely very possible. But yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it's just that I have a soft spot for Drake Haven. I think that it could be quite good in certain matchups. Boomer, Boomer card. But <laughs> boomer. no, I mean, but like I talked last
1: week, like that's what historic is. There's kind of this nostalgicness this nostalgic angle to it where you get to play stuff that you want to play. And if you want to build a cycling Drakehaven deck, I played so many of those in magic duels. I uh, do it, you know, get it, go for it.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm certainly going to be trying it. Who knows? Maybe I'll stumble upon something. I actually like, let's talk about, let's see, this set added a lot of wraths to the format. Do you think any of these wraths are worth considering?
1: Well, you have Bantu's Last Reckoning, Hour of Devastation, Hour of Revelation. Um, I, I think Wrath of God, which we talked about Wrath last of week, God. is amazing. Yeah, this is the best but, one. I mean, all of these have, have kind of their place, right? If the format really if you're playing, say, a Grixis control deck, and your weakness is that the format has shifted heavily into an Adanto Vanguard seasoned Hollow Blade, Selfless Savior, Indestructible White Aggro deck, then Hour of Devastation is your jam. Creatures lose indestructible. It's, it's all about picking and choosing the right spots for most of these Wraths that aren't Wrath of God, because Wrath of God just hits all the things, although it also has a weakness to indestructibility. I, I've been playing with Hour of Revelation a bit. I don't ever expect to cast it for three, but destroying all permanents definitely has a place, especially when you're running a blue-white control
0: deck with very few permanents. So it's just about the right tool for the job. Of all of these, Bantu's Last Reckoning is the one that's most interesting to me, because it's a three-mana Wrath. And it is an unconditional wrath. So we basically, before this card printed, we hadn't had a three-mana destroy all creatures wrath ever. So that could be like a pressure release valve if you're playing against something like maybe like Gruul. Let's say your opponent has like a super fast Gruul start. Like I'm thinking of a deck which can put creatures with toughness greater than three onto the battlefield at a very fast rate and be trying to kill you. I think this card, you either need to cheat, and they get, they got rid of Wilderness
1: Reclamation, which is, <laughs> yeah. oh man. But you either need to cheat your way through the mana requirements to somehow either produce a ton of mana or play things for zero to somehow play the turn where you miss your untap, because what's an aggro deck without haste? you know? Yeah, like, that's true. Like, I mean, if they tap, if, if you play this and sweep up four creatures from the Gruul deck, but they untap and play
0: one questing beastie, or one glory bringer, like, you're dead. That's true, yeah, because your mana doesn't untap the next turn, so you basically time walk yourself. So, yeah, probably not good, but that's the card that I am have the most questions about. Uh, speaking of black, let's revisit zombies. Do you think that zombies got enough with this set release to make them a little bit more of a consideration the zombie tribe is uh rotting they are not <laughs> aging well they're a
1: lot like the walking dead you know that just the the later seasons of the walking dead compared to the early ones it, it's just not the same shambling along um i mean play zombies if you want to play zombies there's probably there's a good aggro deck in there and it will win some amount of games because you thought sees their sweeper and you overwhelm them very quickly and there's a million cards that like somehow take advantage of the zombie tribe from the last several sets so it's a cool deck, it's a tribal deck and it's not it doesn't have we were just talking about haste in the aggro decks zombies ain't got it so you don't have the reach that you would you can try to use dim palm polluter but it still requires a board state which means that your deck is more susceptible to sweepers than most aggro decks. So play zombies, but you have to make them discard their sweeper. And if they top deck it, it's going to feel bad. That's just right. what you sign up for.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's interesting because, like, we do, I feel like we're almost to the point of having a critical mass of worth it zombies. You know, like we have Crypt Breaker in the format. That's one of the best reasons to play a deck like this. Oh, um, yeah. That's great. Yeah. But, you know, we might be like, uh, what was that card? relentless dead was that the mythic from shadows yeah. we might be yeah, a f- sweet card yeah we might be a few like relentless deads or like gra- what was it? how about the the graph digger zombie that was another one in that block was a zombie um, that got plus one plus one for each other zombie you played or something anyway th- there was some shadows block zombies that were quite good which could tip the scales into making one of these historic zombie decks good enough i will say that this zombie deck has
1: one of the best matchups against field of the dead so if you really want to hose that deck with an aggro deck run gem palm polluter and when they make a million zombies you cycle it it counts all zombies on the battlefield so you kill them for making zombies (laughs) that's that's
0: pretty epic (laughs) that's pretty fantastic and also, just as a black deck, you can bring in your Massacre Worms out of the sideboard in that matchup, too, and that's just an extra win con for you. So, yeah, okay, Zombie's not quite there. Let's get into red here. So, red's brought us a bunch of really interesting cards to talk about. first place to start is probably just the red aggro deck, right, because that was such a strong component of the standard format when Armon came to standard. So let's just cover some of the amazing cards that Red got. Red got Hazaret, first of all. 5 for hasty indestructible creature for 4 mana and uh, it can even burn your opponents out. Basically by the time you cast this you're going to be pretty much hellbent in a red deck anyway. We also have Soulscar Mage. So, <laughs> Soulscar Mage is a strong card and there are some pretty sweet combos that you can do with this card. So let me bring up Soulscar Mage here, and we can talk about this. So this is a 1-mana creature, 1-2, human wizard with prowess. If a source you control would deal non-combat damage to a creature an opponent controls, put that many minus 1 minus 1 counters on that creature instead. So Soulscar Mage is a deceptively powerful card. I think a lot of people didn't quite fully respect this card when it was first printed. But you can do stuff like uh, with Goblin Chain Whirler, you can basically just put a minus one, minus one counter on the opponent's team. That's pretty rad. Um, and it's also, you know, in any kind of red aggressive deck, these one-mana prowess creatures can be very, very strong. It's a wizard, because and that's a big deal in red because it was the only thing keeping Wizard's Lightning from being Lightning Bolt. There you go. Yeah, I mean, Soulscar Mage plus Wizard's Lightning is a it's a heck of a combo right there. So that's basically just going to be a nightmare for any larger creature deck in the format, like like any of these green decks, for example. Let's see what else we have. Ramanap Ruins. card so powerful it was banned in Standard. So this is a Desert, which can basically let you sacrifice a Desert to deal two damage to your opponent. So it's just a good reach. It's a good way to get reach out of your red deck. Uh, then we have Earthshaker Kenra, which we discussed last week, which is just... Very, very excellent haste threat and recursive threat comes back as a hasty far-far from the graveyard. Finally, we have Glorybringer. Glorybringer has definitely brought in plenty of glory <laughs> <laughs> to mages. Brought, who... brought much glory. Yes, indeed. Okay, here's my question. Is Do any of these cards just become like an auto-include in our mono-red aggro deck in Historic? Are there any of these cards that you just can't leave home without if you're playing red? Oh, you are asking a trick question, my friend.
1: Because you are assuming that there is one mono-red deck in Historic, because in most formats, like Standard, that are small enough, there usually is one best-red deck. So, generally speaking, that's normal. Historic already has several mono-red decks, and it's very unclear which mono-red deck is the mono-red deck, quite honestly. Um, And all of these, some of them look like they're auto-includes, but... Most of these cards, all those decks could take it or leave it. I would say the ones I see all the time are Soulscar Mage and Ramanop Ruins. Those seem like they are auto-includes. Soulscar Mage is currently holding it down among the best one-drops for that style of deck. Ramanop Ruins, there's no real drawback. You should play it, because if you get to five mana and your opponent's at two, you'll be happy you did. But I haven't played against Earthshaker Kenra. I haven't played against Glorybringer. Oh, I did once. It ate a counterspell. It was great. Uh, I haven't played against Hazoret at all, which really surprised me. And then you remember it's a mythic rare wild card in a format that can only be played in historic. So people might be holding back. But here's the thing: like Glorybringers, Hazoret's things like that, they have Aethergust problems. But if you run Soulscar Mage and the other cheap wizards that uh, that were printed, like Gitu Lava Runner and Vaishio Pyromancer and some Fanatical Firebrands, and then just play, I don't know, like 20 cards that deal three damage to any target, and then throw in like eight cards that deal two damage to any target. Why would I tap four mana for anything ever? My opponent probably takes something like 30 damage on turn four. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, so I, I think that, all these cards have a role and a place and that you can take the red deck in different ways. I've seen the Thermo Alchemist version. I've seen the Straight Up Wizard version. I've seen the Experimental Frenzy version. Of course, Goblins is a mono red deck that's insanely crazy right now. So there's so much that you can do with red and all these cards have a place. In a 75 card, you know, in a sideboard, all these cards have a have a job. But For the most
0: part, I think Soulscar Mage is is the big champion of the group at this point. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's the one you're going to see in basically any mono-red deck outside of the Goblin's deck. If I had to craft one card, like if I only had enough rare wilds for one of these cards,
1: I'd get Ramanop Ruins. Yeah. But then I would get Soulscar right after.
0: Yeah. I think Ramanop's an uncommon though, right? Or is it a rare? I don't know. If I only had enough wild cards, I should clarify. (laughs) Yeah. I think yeah, I I don't anyway. But yeah, um Soulscar Mage is definitely definitely a performer. I you know what's interesting? I would actually say of these, the one I'd be least likely to craft at the moment is Glorybringer. I just think it's too slow and the format's just not really about that. Glorybringer was a reasonable include and and they usually played like two maybe in the red deck. It was a reasonable include in standard at the time because you know, your opponent might be playing team or energy and they might actually have a creature that you cared about killing it could also be okay in the mirror i think to take out you know just your opponent's threat historic's just not about that at all most people in historic are either just trying to go over the top or if you are playing against another creature deck it's often some kind of linear aggro deck which just is aiming to get you dead by the time glory comes down so yeah, I, I think that that card in particular seems a little bit irrelevant to me at the moment. I, I agree, good sideboard card though. Like if, like if your opponent's sleeving up like mono green or something, then I think Glorybringer could really wreck him. Here's another archetype which I'm going to be super, like this is my favorite card in the whole printing and I'm just going to be building around this until my cold dead hands cannot build around it any longer. Collected Company. so (laughs) the real question with collected company is what's your preferred package for collected company so what are you seeing are there any decks that are kind of like you're seeing them consistently on the ladder playing this card seth manfield played a bant spirits list and had
1: a ton of success uh, with it on stream last night since then i've seen it several times I don't lose to this deck, but I hear it's possible. (laughs) Well, you run Counterspells, my friend. No, actually, um, Counterspells, so this is kind of a thing I had to talk about in a video I made. Counterspells aren't good against Collected Company because if you're going to run Counterspells, like most of the good ones, you want to pay like two mana. You don't want to leave three mana up. You have to progress the game plan. Their deck is full of creatures. They have 24 to 26 creatures. You have to answer them. So a three-mana counter against Collected Company, that's too much mana to hold up. Well, what about the one or two-mana counters like Spell Pierce, And what about Negate? And what about Dovin's Veto and Quench and whatever, right? A lot of those are conditional on Collected Company being a spell, but their deck has 24 to 26 creatures, sometimes more. So they just play those and kill you with them. And it's especially awkward on turn three, right? Say that you have the three-mana universal counterspell. You have Absorb. They're going into their collecting... They they have three mana on the battlefield. You just played your third land. You say go. Okay. They probably played one or two creatures before this because they're a creature deck. They play their fourth land. They attack you with their creatures. They say go. What do you do? Do you do this again next turn? Because they're going to attack you again. Like, the clock is on you, you know what I mean? And if they have any kind of a flash card, like, I don't know, the spirits have a ton of these... Instead of the collected company, and they play that, and you're like, okay, well, I guess I counter that. They untap and collected company, you know, got you. Like, like they just play around your counter magic. Counter magic's not good against collected company. You pretty much have to walk into
0: it, and you have to recover with a sweeper or a powerful play of your own. So, have you been winning against this deck just because collected company isn't good? Or what's what's your opinion on that?
1: When I win against this deck, it's because I kind of play a long waiting game where I'm like adding lands and their creatures are just kind of okay. And then like when they collected company, I revelation or I scarab God. Like I try to do something more powerful than their collected company, the turn they collected company, which is hard to do um so if you're going to hold up counter magic and make them play around you and stuff you have to have somewhere powerful that you're going as well and you have to be patient and you have to pick your spots but basically you have to overpower a collected company deck Uh, of course it helps if they don't hit the greatest i mean sometimes they just hit the greatest and it's like well yeah what was i supposed
0: to do so let's talk about what are some of the hits i saw i think it was mtg asmr on twitter posted last night Has anyone tried the Explore package with Collected Company, which I thought was, you know, an interesting idea. Yeah, I haven't tried that. Yeah, hitting a uh, Wild Growth Walker and uh, what was the three mana? Jade Light Ranger. So yeah, getting getting that combo off at instant speed sounds pretty nice. Gruel just seems to have a lot of pretty incredible hits at three. So I feel like you... You'd be a fool not to at least contemplate it in your gruel deck. Bone Crusher Giants like cheating in collected company, right? Because they get a shock and a
1: removal spell, or they just get a 4-3 if they need to.
0: Yeah. It's, it's kind of it's messed up. kind of amazing, you know? And then you just, you know, you have your normal hits like your spellbreaker. You can even play something spicy like the new Ronus the Indomitable god. Oof. Mm-hmm. Let me let me bring up Ronus here and, and read him. Okay, Ronus the Indomitable, 2 and a green, legendary creature, god, 5-5, death touch, indestructible. Ronus the Indomitable can't attack or block unless you control another creature with power 4 or greater. And you can pay 2 and a green as many times as you would like. Another target creature gets plus 2 plus 0 and gains trample until end of turn. So, I don't know, maybe Ronus is just a mono-green thing, maybe you shouldn't be playing Ronus at all in Historic. But this is just another fun card that you might hit off of this card. The Steel Leaf Champion and Ronus and Clothus, God of Destiny, actually, it's been
1: amazing. I, I've, I've never seen Clothis turned on as much as I have since Collected Company.
0: Yeah, there you go. Showed up. There you yeah, go. Clothus is a great hit. Clothis is one of those cards where you don't necessarily feel that great tapping out on turn three to play Clothus, especially in like an aggro matchup. But boy, if you can pick one up for free, that's a <laughs> really excellent thing to be doing for sure. Oh, especially if it's active, right? Especially if you can actually attack and block with its indestructibleness. It's kind of amazing. Exactly. And then, you know, Cloth is just very versatile. If you can stick one against a control opponent, it can kind of make their life a nightmare. Yeah, I don't know. I think Gruul is a really great place to start. Now, obviously, you have a tension in your Gruul deck between other non-creature cards, such as Embercleave being a big one yeah ember cleave is just about the
1: only one though uh and four drops like do you run questing beasts or not in this deck
0: yeah exactly that's the thing if i were going to cut cards from my deck to play collected company there would definitely be other fours i don't know but then it's like what's better in your deck questing beast or collected company it's kind of hard to make that evaluation sometimes but i definitely think it's worth exploring Gruel of some flavor should definitely try it out and uh, see if we can come up with anything good. I also do think that Mono Green could have a pretty strong game because there's just so many. Like you said, Steel Leaf Champion is a very good card. Ronus is probably quite good in some number in Mono Green. We even just have things like Lovestruck Beast. I mean, that can be a pretty solid hit as well. So I'm definitely, you know, as a Mono Green mage, I'm going to be considering what Collected Company could do for me in Historic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely we spoke a little bit about spirits that's an interesting one bant spirits i mean bant spirits has been an archetype basically for as long as collected company has been around and so yeah i i I wonder i wonder if this is the card that takes spirits from being somewhat mediocre and historic to actually being decent it's definitely missing a spell
1: queller a card that that deck has always had access to and Drog Skull Captain to an extent, but mostly Spellqueller. Without kind of a good tempo counter
0: plan. Running like Shacklegeist, that's just kind of okay. It's, yeah. it's no spell Queller. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, you need those hard hitting threes to really make it good. How about Jund? Crokies has been
1: massacring the ladder with a Jund collected company deck unbelievably no cat oven. It's just a ramp, it's a ramp deck. It has Paradise Druid and Llanowar Elves and Gilded Goose and it has Woe Strider and it has Phyrexian Tower and Mayhem Devil. And the idea is to use Collected Company to hit more mana dorks or the Mayhem Devils and Woe Striders and then play Bolus's Citadel and then just drain out your own life total, scrying everything with the... Woe Strider and then sacrifice everything because if you have 10 permanents and a Mayhem Devil and a Bolus of Citadel, that's 20 damage to the face.
0: So, not bad. There are worse hits off of your Coco than Mayhem Devil and Woe Strider, that's for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: And just that whole deck, like it seems like it wants the right pieces in the right places, and when that deck's fail state is when you have a devil without a woe strider you know or a priest without fodder for it and collected company seems like it gives you a chance to solve all of those issues
0: yeah that's one of the underrated aspects of coco is just finding cards that you want it just digs into your deck it's one of these cards where like you can be on death's door but then you coco into the right combination of cards and then you basically just win on the spot so yeah. yeah I don't know. I'd, I would definitely be thinking about it just in any company that's trying to assemble any kind of creature combo. That's the thing, it's easy to forget, especially with these sacrifice decks. We've kind of forgotten that they are basically combo decks because they look enough like just kind of an aggro-y, range kind of a deck, but they really do rely on having all of their different creature pieces in place to really go off, so cards like Coco just really help to ensure that. I really think that there's another deck that isn't
1: explored yet, which is the Abzan Collected Company deck mm, with okay. Cruel Celebrant, Blood Artist, Woe Strider, and a whole bunch of things that die multiple times. I don't know exactly what those will be, but like Hunted Witness comes to mind. And I just, I, I feel like that's just to get you. Like if you, have, if you have a Cruel Celebrant and a Woe Strider and you Collected Company and you hit like, a blood artist and another woe strider that's so much damage it's insane
0: you know what else i'm interested to hit off of a collected company what
1: rotting regisaur um i saw what what was this deck like it's green black mm-hmm. right yeah it was green black with rotting regisaur ronus and a whole bunch of other things, and the spells were collected company and the Great Henge. Steel Leaf Champion was in it. Lanoir yep. Elves, so that you're playing these on turn two all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that that was a that was beefy.
0: That sounds like a plan, man. I mean, and that's a deck with like an okay fail state as well. You know, like turn one Lanowar into turn two Reggie into turn three Henge. That's that's not a bad thing to be doing if you don't hit your cocoa, right? So.
1: Yeah, and I think I should remind everybody, like, the Ronas gives trample. So yes. the biggest thing with your Rotting Regisaur is, are you going to hit your opponent with it, or are they going to chump block it? And Ronas just fixes that on, on, on their own. Is it a she, Ronas? Can't remember. No idea. Yep. I know is a she because I got corrected on that about 50 times, <laughs> but Ronas, I'm not
0: sure. <laughs> you know, Ronas is, is just a snake, you know? We'll just leave it at that. Ronas, the snake. So, yeah, that's I, I'm i going to be interested. I mean, Reggie's probably just like the biggest ball of stats you can hit with a Coco. I imagine if your opponent passes the turn to you and you hit two Reggies off of your Coco, you've got to imagine that you're winning that next game, that next oh. turn. So. <laughs> oh my God. Me, I'll just add 14 power to the board for four mana. Thank you. Thank you. Who cares if you don't have a hand? <laughs> yeah, Yeah, right? I mean... <laughs> There's a couple of just loose cards which I wanted to touch on, which have been powerful before in various formats. Let's talk about a Braid. So a Braid is a very versatile card. It's a one and a red instant, and you choose one. It either deals three damage to target creature, or you can destroy a target artifact. So do you think a Braid has a home in Historic? Yes, but it's a meta
1: card. Mm-hmm. You'd definitely rather have a lightning strike most of the time, and there's a million ways to deal damage to face or something else. A braid is best if your red deck is having issues with, obviously, artifacts or artifact creatures, but I remember a braid being particularly um, oppressive on God Gift, a deck that was so close to broken so often and just got abraded.
0: You know, abrading a God Gift is a little bit like negating an opponent's ultimatum so okay how about cut to ribbons this card i think is a pretty solid card so the front side one and a red sorcery deals four damage to target creature and the back side is black black x and target opponent loses x life this is a pretty versatile card right the ability to stop
1: an early creature especially one going up to four toughness like a steel leaf champion is a solid removal spell on its own. It's almost a roast, which was a very played removal spell that did five. So it's good. I think the place where it gets scary is if you have a really good mana engine and you might just be able to burn the opponent out in the mid game. So think of this in just kind of a or more colors shell with Nyssa that happens to be in the deck.
0: Oh, that's a nice combo. Yep. I don't know. This card's real. I mean, a lot of Rakdos decks are just trying to get you dead anyway. So I think a card like this could really just give reach to the Rakdos deck. Like, let's say they, you know, oftentimes they do most of the job, but then you stabilize against them. And so them just being able to do the last four or five points to you can be pretty powerful, I think. I'm going to throw in just a little something to think about with this card. So if you're playing an
1: aggressive deck, could you spend that two mana early in the game removing the threat in another way that would get more damage in? For example, like Priest of the Forgotten Gods or Dreadhorde Butcher or something like that. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to remove a threat on turn two in your aggressive deck. And then later, because you're an aggressive deck and you have a low curve, you're casting this for like two or three is like your best is is your average yeah that's where this card is bad where the card is good is when you actually want to prolong the game and you will definitely have some mana somehow um maybe you don't want to prolong the game but you often do prolong the game i'm thinking of the way that the luris decks just seem to always end up in these board states where they have like six or seven lands but they're still putting pressure on you like these, uh, like the current Rakdos Sacrifice decks in Standard, Cut to Ribbons would be great there.
0: Mm-hmm. Or just, you know, out of the sideboard in any matchup where you just want Cut anyway. When your opponent shows you Mono Green, you just bring it in anyway. And then whatever amount of, of burn you can get out of Ribbons is just gravy. Anyway, versatile card, definitely keep an eye on it. I w- you know, I wouldn't run this in a non-Rakdos uh, non- deck. Okay, let's talk about hollow one any room in the format for hollow one cycling yeah turn three you cycle with your fox on the battlefield it becomes a four four and you play two more four fours for free so do you basically not leave home without Holo Wan- hollow one if you're playing a cycling deck
1: i think it has to be explored i'm not sure what the right number is because there's a risk that you have two or three hollow ones and you don't have enough cyclers to do the thing yeah, but it has cycling itself. So the downside is minimal. Yeah, I think this I, I think that there's an aggro cycling deck that runs for
0: Yeah. Now, one of the things holding hollow one back in this format is no faithless looting, right? That's the, the kind of cards that allow you to discard this card or even multiples of this card are what gets so busted so i don't know do you think some kind of like cathartic reunion hollow one thing is is an idea it's an idea yeah i don't think you have a lot of time to cast cathartic reunion in this format that's the problem the difference between one mana and two mana is just so big when it comes to effects like that so absolutely
1: jumpstart was supposed to give us burning inquiry they messed up
0: yeah took it out i know dude come on man Help a on, help a man. combo mage out. I'll tell you what though, you do have the opportunity in historic to get two or three hollow ones on the battlefield on turn three, with something like cathartic reunion. So I'm not I'm not saying it's going to happen that often, or ever. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll see. We'll see. Uh- <laughs> I love your optimism, buddy. <laughs> love your optimism.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I'm crapping on your ideas. I'm a bad. I'm a bad co-host. Kick
0: him out. Kick him out. Take him out the back. So <laughs> <laughs> <Show laughs> he's him not his helping place. the jank. <laughs> okay. Scavenger grounds. I think this card is an interesting consideration for a graveyard hoser. So colorless land just taps for one colorless, but you can tap two and sack it to exile cards from target player's graveyard. This is kind of like a. Bajuka bog impression but one of the things i like about it is that you can do this at instant speed oh and it's all graveyards by the way not just your opponent's graveyard so you can do this at instant speed whenever you need to which i kind of like it also says sacrifice a desert not itself oh there you go
1: if you run multiple deserts you can exile a graveyard pretty much on command for Mm -hmm. as long as you can come up with deserts it's this card was also somewhat oppressive in standard for just your graveyard reanimator decks. Always failed because because scavenger grounds could be in any deck. In this format, it goes in all the field of the dead decks. And once that thing really does catch on, once once people realize how good that deck is with hour of promise, which I don't know if that's on the list, but I, that fetches deserts as well. Like that de- that deck can insu- just because of its nature can hate on graveyard strategies because scavenger grounds is a card which is pretty pretty cold you know that's pretty ice cold move right there
0: yeah yep scavenger grounds don't sleep on this card i think this card's quite good i think that this is like a field of ruin kind of power level of card where it's the kind of thing where the cost to play it is very slim and it can just incidentally really hose your opponent sometimes so Yeah, I I like it. I like it a lot. Let's talk about Hour of Promise because this card is... I would argue that Hour of Promise is basically the card that got Field of the Dead banned from Pioneer. Let's just take a look at what this card does. So, okay, so Hour of Promise. Foreign a Green Sorcery. Search your library for up to two land cards. Put them onto the battlefield taps, then shuffle your library then if you control three or more deserts, create two two, two black zombie creature tokens. So not only can this find you whichever lands you're interested in, so it could be field and your seventh land, or it could just be two fields after you've already got your land requirements taken care of, and yeah I mean it could definitely find you your whatever hosing deserts you want to play, and There are a number of deserts, and some of them have pretty relevant effects in this set. So I don't know. I think our promise is like, I mean, this must be an auto-include into the Field of the Dead decks, right? Golos was pretty good because it also had kind of an engine attached to it.
1: But the thing about Golos is if you put seven mana into the Golos and you splash all these other colors, which inevitably did make your mana a little clunkier, you were still pretty likely in those decks to hit a bunch of land. You know, when you spun your Golos wheel. So it's not like you are always getting ahead. Maybe in a beautiful world, you hit Ulamog someday. With Hour of Promise, you get more. You get two bodies, which is more likely to keep you alive right away, and you get two lands. So you get double the utility. And, you know, you're, you don't get to spin a Golos wheel, but you also don't have to splash a bunch of colors. Hour of Promise has, for the most part, proven that it's the better of the two for this style of deck, And I'm really curious. They suspended Field of the Dead. They unsuspended Field of the Dead for some reason. They seem to think it's fine, but now Hour of Promise is here.
0: Are they going to ban Hour of Promise because they like Field of the Dead so much? (laughs) I mean, I feel like one of them's got to go, right? It's hard for me to imagine both of these cards being in the historic format and having that just be fine. Maybe. here's It does... To say it takes a while to get going is kind of not is
1: not telling the true story because we have explored Grow, Spiral and Uro in the format too. It doesn't take long to get going. The question is, will making a bunch of free 2-2 zombies be enough? And maybe historic is too messed up for that to matter. Maybe you can Embercleave Questing Beast, Steel Leaf Champion, or some other combo kill your way through it, but It is hard to imagine It's hard to imagine this being fine, because it hasn't been. We've been down this road a few times.
0: You kind of hit on the on the crux of it, which is if you can survive turn four casting this, then this card almost certainly locks up the game for you. So if your opponent can get through enough damage kind of on right at that point in the game, then maybe you're not, you know, good to go. But otherwise this card is just like just seals it basically it's like if your opponent untaps on the turn after they resolve Hour mm-hmm. of promise your chances of winning that game are almost zero yeah it's a it's
1: another threat on that level it's like nissa right if if they yeah. get to untap with the nissa in play you're probably gonna lose if, yeah. if they survive the hour of promise then
0: goodbye I think it's one of the reasons, if this deck becomes very, very good in Historic, I think it's definitely the kind of thing that's going to make you see more of these Bant Spirits decks, because they're the kind of decks that can say, I don't really care about your Hour of Promise, I'm just going to continue to try to kill you in the air. It doesn't really change their clock, right? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that right there could just be a reason to consider building one of those decks. Or, you know, if you like the Mono Blue Tempo deck, to just stick with playing that deck. Although it didn't really pick up anything with these new cards from Amonkhet. But, um, yeah, that, that, it, it, decks like that are very meta-dependent, and this could be a card that just pushes you in the direction of doing that. I know that I keep imagining how powerful... Our
1: Promise and Field of the Dead is. And I keep thinking about it when I'm building my decks. And then eventually I come to this crossroads. Well, I can play the deck I want to play, or I can play a deck that's warped against this messed up card. And like I said, I haven't played against it in Best of One once, but I am sure that will change. And so far I've just been playing the decks I want to play. I have a feeling Historic will be a lot less fun when when every other match is Field of the Dead.
0: I agree. I mean, especially, like, these Field of the Dead decks got Wrath of God. I'm sure if they want to, they can consistently do a turn 3 Wrath into the next turn Hour of Promise. That's a heck of a curve for that deck. So, yeah, I don't know, man. If if Hour of Promise is in the format, you're definitely going to want to be Ember Cleaving, you're definitely going to be, want to be Questing Beasting, you're going to want to be Muxessing on turn 3 or 4. Like, if, if your plan is to get your opponent dead, you need to really get him dead.
1: Yeah. I, does Muxus even do it?
0: Yeah, like, I'm not sure. I, I don't know how that's the... That's the problem. I don't know if, like, the Muxus nut draw goes well against the Field of the Dead nut draw head-to-head. It's an yeah. interesting one. block, sweep you, game over. Yeah, anyway. I don't know. It's actually... It's another reason why I think some of these, like, really burny red decks could be a better choice than, like, your more creature attacky red decks. Because I think... If your red deck is set up to deal your opponent, you know, 26 damage by turn four or five, then you probably have a pretty strong matchup against these field decks. I don't really imagine field having a very good burn matchup, especially if you're able to, like, ram and up ruins and stuff like that. So They fetch two hollowed fountains. (laughs) There you You go. (laughs) It's like, dude, they they, they get any (laughs) land they want, man it's messed up that's true they could tack against you if they wanted oh yeah well just finishing out here the other amonkhet gods are probably not very good right like the scorpion god the locust god Bontu. i'm not excited about them no i'm uh, not into them clear. either they just seem a bit too slow and dirty and mid-rangey i do want to talk about combat celebrant because we haven't talked about god gift at all really so yeah so let's go into that Take us through what you might want to be doing with that. So God Pharaoh's Gift and Gate to the Afterlife, which
1: says if you have six or more creatures in your graveyard, you can sacrifice Gate to the Afterlife to search the hand, the graveyard, or the library for the God Pharaoh's Gift and put it into play. So there's a few shells I really want to mess with this in. And one of the first ones is Goblin Gift. Now, this actually was a deck Because Skirk Prospector was around in that standard with God Pharaoh's Gift. And I think it could be a pretty amazing deck again. Skirk Prospector and God Pharaoh's Gift and Gate to the Afterlife and any good amount of goblins is amazing. But then when you also consider that you can reanimate Muxus as well okay, I'm feeling that <laughs> oh yeah so the thing about it is you could play the regular goblin version but it's not as resilient right or you could play that same deck but with a combo backup plan that puts an artifact into play that lets you rebuild and redo the goblin thing again and again so right now the goblin decks issue is that if they blow up the cruxes turn counter the cruxt or counter the muxus or instant speed sweep you with magma quake or survive by chump blocking and then sweep you that it's over. But if you have Gate to the Afterlife and a graveyard full of goblins, and you go fetch God Pharaoh's gift, and you put another, and you just play a Muxus every turn for the rest of the game, (laughs) you can probably find a way to get her done. You know what I mean? So I'm excited to try that. It is pretty messed up using Prospector with Gate to the Afterlife too.
0: I mean, all right. Can I can I get a jank check on this deck here? Because go for it. Basically, what you're telling me is that I have a combo plan B for when my combo plan A doesn't work, right? <laughs> yeah. Is that kind of what you're telling me? So not only are we trying to combo into Muxus, but then additionally, we're also trying to combo into into Gate to the Afterlife.
1: Right. And the reason I mentioned Combat Celebrant, I don't know if the Goblins deck needs it, but getting multiple combat steps is another way to break through the zombies
0: or just make sure your opponent is dead. Yep, yep, that's true. And I guess the only issue there is you're just diluting the critical mass of zombies in your deck, right? It makes your Muxus a lot worse. Of goblins. It can, absolutely. That
1: is one of the headaches. But you don't need many celebrants. like, And you loot them away with the Gate to the Afterlife anyway, with the draw discard effect whenever a creature dies. So yeah. you're really
0: just looking to chuck them in the graveyard. Yeah. Well, I will look forward to you hopefully breaking this in historic. <laughs> that sounds pretty exciting. Do we have any other like gate build-arounds that look really good? Oh, yeah. Um, Stitcher's Supplier
1: and Murfolk Secret Keeper are two cards that mm. Godfaroah's Gift fans really wish they could have played with before. Mm-hmm. And it's not hard at all to get a turn four Godfaroah's Gift with a turn three gate to the afterlife if you have Stitcher's Supplier and Murfolk Secret Keeper. So yeah. from there, it's just... Reanimate it's just reanimate, right? Mm-hmm. Reanimate whatever you want. Plus you have um burial rights if you want to do a one off reanimation without the gift. Right. So some so kind of that, ulamog finish, maybe. Um I mean you can ulamog if you want to. I've been seeing people like doing stuff with Massacre Worm. Uh, there's also the Sphinx. What is the name of this Sphinx? Uh, it's a is new it one. It's Unash. a jumpstart card. Oh, okay. Is it it's Scholar of the Lost Trove. This card it's a 7-mana 5-5 five five flyer that says when it enters the battlefield, you may cast an instant sorcery or artifact card from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. <laughs> okay. I see what you yeah. mean. There. So nice. you can either get spells or an artifact back with this thing for free when you reanimate it, either with the godfrey's Gift or the Unburial Rites. So there's... Uh, there's multiple things you can do from there if you want an acroma's memorial <laughs> or whatever. Oh, you know this 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 thing is this is what jank is made of. Uh there's probably some other spell that I'm not thinking of that you could cast that should say win the game on it that is super expensive and insane. That's a shell. Another shell is cat oven. You usually want your graveyard to be pretty full anyway, so that you can find your Woe Striders and find your Cauldron Familiars to go with your ovens. Emery mills you, and Emery's cheaper off a Goose or an oven, if, or both if you use both. And if you just and since things die all the time, you get loots from the Gate to the Afterlife every single time you run the cat through the cycle, right? So then you just use that to get a Godfrey's Gift, and you might not be getting the Haymakers, but like we said, this deck is a Synergy deck. So if you're getting back a Mayhem Devil, or if you already have a Mayhem Devil, and you're just reanimating something else as a 4-4, like a Woe Strider, that's just a ton of damage, pressure, and value. And it's keeping the synergetic pieces together. So those are all things I want to try.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I do, I think it's underrated the 4-4-ness of those eternalized tokens so i really like the idea of you set the combo up with your stitches supplier for example or, or yeah like with your cat maybe and then later in the game you can just snag one of those dorky creatures from the graveyard to become a four four and like that's really not bad so no that's really good yeah so i i i think that that's underrated like using these little cheap dorks and then getting them back as four fours is just like an additional way to put on pressure
1: Gilded Goose is a 4 4 flyer when it
0: comes back as <laughs> yeah. a zombie, for example. That's clutch. That's really nice. Oh, yeah, a merfolk secret keeper living its best life. So, yeah, I'm uh, okay. Okay. That's a direction I'm interested in looking in for sure. So, another good thing to do with this might be like some kind of Dracoseth combo because. Getting back Dracoseth from the graveyard as a as a 4-4 haster. Even at 4 4, Dracoseth pretty much locks up games the turn it comes down. So I'll give you a hint to how
1: that's how this should go. Take your like creature tribal deck, and then grab four Gates to the Afterlifes and two godfathers Gifts, shuffle them in, and just see what happens. So I'm, <laughs> just, I'm picturing, like, I seriously, any yeah. creature tribal deck can probably be improved by having this combo recursive backup plan. So I'm picturing, like, Regal Caracal in this cat deck that's going around, right? Like, getting that back is pretty amazing. Um, Merfolk, who knows?
0: I, like, the, the, there's so many things you could try. There's no reason not to give it a shot. And yeah, the, the, in any red deck, definitely Combat Celebrant's a good one for just giving you an extra combat step. Basically, can't really go wrong with that guy. All right. Well, that, my friends, is just some of the things that you could be doing in Historic right now. And, you know, probably next week we'll check back in to let you know which 1% of the things we talked about today is actually relevant and viable. But in the meantime, a lot of fun is going to be had. And that's really what we do this for, right, CGB? oh
1: yeah it's all about having fun it and historic i think at least for now is like a playground and maybe the spikes will take it over someday but right now you can
0: have a nostalgic fun throwback to whatever style you enjoy yep so just start spewing off those wild cards like they're going out of style (laughs) and and let us know you know just drop us a tweet if you discover a deck list that you're really enjoying uh we've been retweeting deck lists and shout outs and stuff like that so if you have anything that's working for you something that got you to mythic in historic or standard or whatever format it is just give us a shout and uh, we'll go ahead and pass that along to our audience all right well thanks for joining us for another week you can find everything Arena Craft by... Uh, you can go to arenacraftpodcast.com. You can find us on all of the various podcast platforms. We're on Spotify if you like listening to things there. We're also on YouTube, and we've actually been... Both of us, Covert go blue and myself, have been releasing video content on there. So you can go check it out. I recently did a Team Adventure Refresher for anyone who's been thinking about playing that deck. CGB released an awesome historic video of him playing some Jeskai Feather. So that was a good good foray. This was pre-Amonkhet, by the way, pre-Amonkhet Feather deck. So yeah, go check that out. Our YouTube channel is expanding and blowing up, and it's a good place to be. Now with CGB, you can find his content, Covert Go Blue. His YouTube is always popping. Video released every day. So that's definitely... Main place to catch him. He also streams Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Speaking of streams, again, just a quick reminder. Catch me on my featured stream day this coming Thursday, August 20th, at noon Pacific Time. I'll be raging it all day. So whatever time zone you're in, you can probably tune in and catch me at some point. All right. Thank you, CGB, and I will look forward to a check-in next week. Absolutely. Later.